All right. Thank you so much. <clears throat> Great worship this morning. Really appreciate it. Hope you're doing well. Happy Mother's Day to everyone. If you would turn to First Timothy chapter 2, I'd like for us to see what the Lord has to say to us through this passage this morning. When I was in the South growing up in little Baptist churches, it's very common on Mother's Day for there to be some kind of acknowledgement of mothers one way or the other. And typically they would uh, ask questions like, so who's the youngest mother? Who's the oldest mother? Who's the mother with the most children and that kind of thing? Uh, when I was at the church in New Era, Little Country Church, there was an older lady who was in her 90s who told me that she did not like to go to church on Mother's Day because she was always the oldest mother. And she didn't like being recognized as the oldest mother uh, on Mother's Day. And so uh, she never came to church when I was there. Um, but she was a very sweet, sweet woman. There are other reasons for that. But, um, you know, we could have done other things, too. We could have asked uh, for the most stressed out mother or uh, mothers who have completed therapy and you know, things like that. Because the reality is motherhood is very challenging. And yet there's a few things that God gives people responsibility for that are more rewarding than being a mother. And that's why Spurgeon could say mothers have great power. They shape the future of their children. And so motherhood is something we celebrate for all kinds of reasons. One reason is it's a very, very important role. It's a very powerful role. And it's important and and powerful because of God's design. That doesn't mean that mothers have uh, the kind of power that God has, just like Mark talked about and Eric read. Um, Mothers are just as dependent on God as fathers are and everyone else is. But there is something about the role of motherhood for which we can all be thankful. Obviously, we we miss our moms when they're gone and those kinds of things, and we grieve their loss. Some of us have had different experiences with mothers. Um, Obviously, for some people, uh, that was a difficult thing in various ways. And yet we don't want to miss the fact that even though fathers aren't perfect and mothers aren't perfect, The roles that God has given to mothers and fathers are incredibly beautiful and wonderful roles. And even in a fallen world where it's not perfect, God still works in amazing ways through imperfect fathers and perfect mothers. And so we can be truly thankful for all the ways in which he blesses us uh, through them. And so we appropriately honor mothers today on Mother's Day. I think it pleases the Lord that we do so. And I'm glad we are doing so as well. First uh, Timothy 2 is an interesting passage because the context is one in which uh, Paul is addressing some issues in the church there. And he highlights the role of motherhood in a very in a larger context of issues that are being dealt with. And I thought it would be appropriate in light of all the things going on in our own society that relate to motherhood, womanhood, that are really challenging. And I think this passage has something to say to us, and I hope will be an encouragement to mothers as well as all of us today in various ways. And so if you would, look at 1 Timothy 2, verses 9 through 15. And Paul says this in these verses. 
Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. This is actually one of the most controversial passages you'll find in the New Testament, especially in light of what's going on in our society today. But the context of the passage in the book of 1 Timothy is about worship and the proper role of men and women in the assembly as they gather for worship. That's the context of what's being said here, and we need to understand what he's saying here in light of that. Um, So when he talks about women being quiet, he's not talking about in every situation and in every way. He's talking about in terms of what's happening in particular ways in the worship of the church. It's also helpful to understand that this uh, letter was written to the church at Ephesus, and there were some interesting things going on in Ephesus with regard to the role of women and the perspective on women in that city. It was the center of the goddess cult, uh, Artemis. For the Greeks, uh, the uh, Romans called this goddess Diana, and someone has said that Ephesus was a bastion of feminine supremacy. So their view of the role of women was not consistent with what God says in his word. And therefore, there was a challenge to the church there in terms of how do we uh, operate as a church in this cultural context. There are also things going on with regard to different kinds of false teaching. There were um, Gnostic myths that basically argued that women were responsible for both the creation and enlightenment of men. And so the teaching was, you know, women need to take on certain leadership roles and primary roles because uh, that's what's um, going to actually be good for men. Well, the false teachers that Timothy is having to deal with, that Paul is trying to help Timothy deal with, were making inroads with many of the women in the congregation And it's very possible that they were promising them leadership roles in the church, just like there were leadership roles in society. So what I'm saying is, it's easy to read these kind of passages and just kind of pluck them out of their context in terms of worship or in terms of the cultural situation there. And we can come away with some wild ideas about what Paul is really saying. But he's saying some really important things in light of the fact that a lot of the things that were happening in Ephesus back in the first century are are reflected in our own culture in terms of what's happening today and the different ways in which men and women are being talked about. Obviously, you could legitimately argue that womanhood is under attack in our society. It's in crisis in various ways in that we have men who are identifying as women. We have this push toward no longer talking about motherhood, but talking about birthing persons um, legally and in various ways. We have uh, men 
who are beginning to win women's sports, enter women's bathrooms, win Women of the Year awards, uh, enter women's locker rooms, enter women's prisons. All those kinds of things are happening because of this issue over what does it really mean to be a woman. And obviously many of us are probably familiar with the documentary entitled What is a Woman by Matt Walsh. And in our day and time, there are a lot of people that aren't willing to define that because they're afraid of offending someone if they even define what that is. You may have heard of the 12-year-old boy uh, who was sent home for wearing a shirt that said there are only two genders. And they sent him home because uh, what he said was offensive and was attacking people in their minds. And so the reality is, just stating something that has been common knowledge and affirmed for thousands and thousands of years has now become hate speech. And so therefore, we're living in a society in which it's very challenging even to um, define what it means to celebrate Mother's Day. It's more complex than it was a few years ago, exactly what that means and what that looks like. Well, I've entitled this message, Saved Through Womanhood. I'm going to be carefully defining what I mean by that, but if you look at verse 15, this is where that uh, title comes from. Paul says, but women will be, according to the New American Standard, preserved through the bearing of children. Obviously, the bearing of children refers to motherhood. The ESV translates that saved through childbearing. Because the word for preserved or saved is the word for saved as it's used in John chapter 3 when it talks about Jesus said, I did not come to judge the world, but that the world might be saved. Um, Or in Luke 19.10, Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. So it's the same word that's used in terms of spiritual salvation. And so I want us to think a little bit about what Paul is really saying here when he says women will be saved in some spiritual sense through motherhood, which ultimately I believe in the context means through womanhood because the whole context isn't just talking about mothers, it's talking about the issue of women and their roles and obviously One of the primary ways that we have for thousands of years to find a woman was with regard to the the capacity or whatever you may may call it, uh, motherhood, being able to be a mother in one sense or another. And so I want to touch on some things that I think Paul was addressing uh, back then that also apply to us today. And the three things that I want to touch on is the reduction of women's value, the reversal of roles, and the rejection of God's design. And so the first thing is in verses 9 and 10. Paul says, verses 9 and 10, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. And I think what he's dealing with here. Um, or at least one aspect of it, is the problem of the reduction of value. And let me try to explain what I mean by that. By asking these questions, on what basis should you be valued as a woman? 
Where is your value to be found? Another question would be, what is the most important thing about you as a woman? And can it be determined by followers on Instagram? You know, one of the um, topics that's become more and more prevalent is the issue of how women are um, displayed in public in various ways, um, used in advertising. And, and one of the hot topics, you could say, is a Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue, which has been around for, not, for a long time, since 1964. And yet there's a website... Uh, called InSexualExploitation.org, which talks about the swimsuit issue and says this, Since 1964, this magazine has sexually objectified women for sport and profit. The Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue would be more aptly named the sexploitation issue. Women of all shapes, sizes, and ages deserve more than being reduced to body parts for men to look at. So that's what I mean by the reduction of value, where women are reduced to their physical appearance. We're not uh, highlighting other aspects of the, the glory of God in women, but we're reducing it just to the physical. Now, the physical is part of it, right? When Paul says in these verses, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, you could say that the very first thing to acknowledge is he's saying, yes, I want women to adorn themselves. Not in every way possible, but in certain ways. The idea of adorn, the word there, is actually the word from which we get the word cosmetics. It's the idea of uh, making more beautiful or more attractive. And so there's nothing wrong with women doing what they can to be attractive, to dress attractively, to do their hair or whatever to, to be attractive because one of the reasons why God has made women the way he's made women is for the sake of beauty because women are to reflect the beauty of God. There's a reason why that when a group of men uh, are, you know, is invaded by a woman, it's like a rose among thorns. There's a difference there and it's, it's intentional. It's by design that we say, yeah, there's something different. A bunch of guys all by themselves is one thing, but you let a woman come in and there's something different about that in a glorious, wonderful way by God's design. And so he says that, yes, uh, adorning yourself as a woman is a good thing, and yet he mentions a couple of cautions. One caution is to be careful of not doing so in an immodest way. That's why it talks about uh, having proper or respectable clothing uh, modestly, which is the idea of the word reverence. There's kind of a kind of reverence that I'm, I'm not dressing for people, I'm dressing for God. I'm dressing in the presence of God. So I want to keep that in mind as well as keeping in mind who I'm dressing in front of on the human level. Discreetly means to exercise some self-control. In our day and time, it's amazing how women have embraced the idea that removing their clothes is somehow empowering. It's really amazing when you hear that kind of talk. And the Bible says that's not empowering, that's enslaving. That, that is totally contrary to the true glory of women as God intended it. So Paul says, first of all, be careful that 
but you're not dressing in such a way uh, that you're trying to be sexually attractive. Um, Calvin talks about the fact that uh, he says that undoubtedly the dress of a virtuous and godly woman must differ from that of a strumpet. Now, that was an old-fashioned word for prostitute or someone who uh, was sexually active. And so Paul says, be careful. There, is, there are lines to be drawn in every culture with regard to what that looks like and what that means. And so he says, make sure that your desire to be attractive doesn't go too far in that way. But he also mentions something else. He talks about uh, braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments. And that can be misunderstood. You might think, well, uh, Paul is saying you just need to be a plain Jane. You, you shouldn't uh, dress in nice clothes or wear any kind of jewelry. It's not the point at all because in that day and time, there were those who thought that they could actually distance themselves from other people, say that I'm I'm different and better than you because of all the wealth and beauty that I can display. And the poorer ladies would immediately recognize that, well, I'm not in that woman's class because she dresses so nicely. And so it was a way of um, selfish ambition and pride. Uh, it was a way of just displaying your wealth. You know, a lot of times uh, they would have these elaborate hairstyles in which they would put all kinds of things in them. They didn't need to be in there, but it was a way of saying, I'm wealthy and my wealth makes me special. It was a way of exalting themselves in the eyes of other women as well as in the eyes of other people. And therefore, you dress like that in the middle of a worship service and that can be very distracting and it can be dividing in terms of the body of Christ. And so Paul is talking about very practical things. He's not talking about whether or not uh, it's bad to wear a, a ring or a necklace or anything like that. He's talking about the implications of why are you wearing what you're wearing? Uh, are you trying to attract someone inappropriately? Or are you trying to exalt yourself in some inappropriate way? What's really going on there? And that's why finally he says what you really need to focus on is adorning yourself with good works. Let your life as a woman be beautified by godliness, by good works, by service to God and others. That's why in 1 Peter 3 it says, your, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. And so the implication is that um, it's wrong to reduce womanhood to just the physical. It's wrong for men to do that. It's wrong for women to do that. It's not just about the physical. And in our day and time, there's a problem with idolizing the female body. No doubt. Uh, we see that in terms of advertising, I mean, just about every ad that you run across online that has nothing to do with women in particular will have uh, a woman. Why? Because men are drawn to the beauty of women. Um, pornography is a huge issue. Then you've got young ladies on you know, looking at their Instagram accounts and um, becoming anorexic and all kinds of things because they're trying to match uh, what they see online, teen suicide, 
is up because of these things. So there's all kinds of things that are the fallout when we idolize um, the female body. And so as we've talked about over the last few weeks, as Christians, we're not defined by our sin. We're not defined by our suffering. You can say for Christian women, you're not defined by your body. That is not the most important thing about you. And that's not what defines you. There are so many things that are much more important for us to think about and to know. Now, sinful men will um, misuse this. And obviously, through sin, women will embrace it for wrong reasons. The physical beauty of women is part of the glory of God in women. The Bible says in Psalm 27, the psalmist says, One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Our Lord is beautiful. In Psalm 96, 6, it says, Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Why did God make man and woman, male and female, to show the glory of his strength and the glory of his beauty? And so beauty is a a good thing. And whenever I look upon the beauty of women, I should trace it back and say, that's just a small imperfect reflection of the glorious beauty of God. And the Bible says one day we will see the beauty of God and it's called the beatific vision and we will be completely and overwhelmingly happy, joyful and satisfied. And so whatever we see in the beauty of a sunset or in the beauty of a newborn child or the beauty of a woman, this is a small reflection of the beauty of God that is meant to satisfy us and will satisfy us one day as God's people. And yet we have to be careful of just magnifying the outward beauty and and recognizing that if there's nothing behind it, if it's not a beautiful heart behind it, then it um, is just an empty kind of thing. And that's why in Proverbs eleven twenty two, it says, as a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a beautiful woman who lacks discretion. Basically, the picture of there's, there's some real um, conflict there between what's on the outside and what's going on on the inside in that kind of situation. And that's why the Bible talks about how physical beauty can be deceptive. Uh, The Lord Jesus talked about the scribes and Pharisees and said, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Um, In Ezekiel 28, in a reference that many tie back ultimately to Satan and his fall, it is said of him, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. And so if beauty, outward beauty, is everything to us, and if if we take pride in our outward beauty and we give no attention to our heart, it will be eternally devastating. And so there is a way to look at beauty that can be very helpful and a way to look at beauty that can be very uh, unhelpful because there are more important kinds of beauty than physical beauty. That's why it says in Proverbs 31, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. That's the most important.
important kind of beauty. So the first thing is there's a problem with reducing the value of women to simply the physical, whether men do it or whether women do it. Secondly, there's a problem of reversed roles, and and Paul highlights this in verses 11 through 14. Excuse me, in verse 11 it says, A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, But the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Now, the questions that I'd like to ask in this section is to ask the question, do you often think as a woman in terms of your role as a woman? Do you ask the question, what is my role as a woman in my family? What is my role as a woman in the church? What is my role as a woman in society? In our day and time, the roles of men and women are being increasingly confused. And one of the things that's interesting is just, I'll just take one illustration, uh, Marvel movies, for instance. Marvel movies have very strong women characters like Black Widow and and Wonder Woman, or I don't know if that's Marvel or not, but uh, different ones, I'm probably confusing those. But the point is, that you've got strong women characters who are superheroes. Now, is is it a bad thing to portray a woman as strong, courageous, and capable? Not at all. That's not the issue. The issue isn't whether or not women can be and often are strong, uh, courageous, and capable. The issue is, are they, in these movies, taking on roles that God never intended them to take on? Um, for instance, is it really manly for a man to say, uh, honey, uh, go protect our house while I hide here in the cellar? Is that a manly thing to do? No, it's, the man is supposed to be the protector. He's supposed to be fighting to protect the women and the children. Years ago, many years ago, that would be the idea. Women and children first off the Titanic. Uh, men are going to protect. Men are going to go into battle. We're not going to send women into battle, it's not that women aren't capable or courageous or strong. It's that what is the role that God has designed for them to play? And are men abdicating that role and letting them do things that they ought to be doing otherwise? That, I believe, is what Paul is talking about here in these verses, that he's talking about the issue of a role reversal that is ultimately destructive. It's not more loving. It's not more kind. It's not more, not something that actually enhances uh, the flourishing of human life. It actually undermines it. In this context, again, he's talking about the church worship service. He's talking about what happens when the, the body of Christ gathers together in the local assembly. And so when he's talking about women being quiet, he's talking about in regard to the issue of the preaching and teaching of the word. He's not saying that uh, women can't share like we do, women can't pray in the service like we do, women can't talk when they come into the building or anything like that. He's not talking about that kind of quietness. In the New Geneva Study Bible, it says this, Paul does not forbid all vocal participation by women in the worship service. Rather, Paul enjoins silence of a particular sort, a silence that respects the authoritative teaching 
and governing role assigned to the leaders of the church. So we're talking about an issue of role here. And so Paul is saying that the role of teaching and exercising authority is something that God has given to men. And if you read on into chapter 3, he talks about if any man aspires, any man aspires to be an elder, it's a good thing because that's a role that God has given to men. In our day and time, that's being challenged. The idea of women pastors and that sort of thing in the church is on, on the rise. And it's because of the society in which we live in which the idea is that all the things that used to be true about the role of women are outdated. We're evolving. And the only way to get better is if we leave behind the past and we do something new. And there are those who believe the lie of Darwinism, social Darwinism, you could call it, and believe that, well, yes, that used to be the case in the church, but not not anymore because we've arrived, we've been enlightened. We know now that it's different and, and we're making progress as the church, and that's what progressive Christianity uh, is all about, if you've heard that term. Well, what Paul does here is he argues not from culture, but from creation. And from the very first um, days, you could say, of creation, he says that um, men are to be elders and pastors and women aren't because Adam was first created. He goes all the way back to creation. He says, essentially, there's an order in creation, that there's something that God is saying to us by creating Adam first, the man first, and creating woman out of man. The Hebrew word for man is ish. The Hebrew word for woman is isha. There's a connection between the two. And the interesting thing is, in our day and time, people are beginning to even spell the, the, na- the word woman differently. Instead of W-O-M-E-N, it's M-Y-N or M-X-N. Because they want to co- disconnect the connection between men and women. They don't, don't want women to be defined in light of men. And yet the Bible does that very thing. And there is something about the order of what God has done. And that's what Paul is arguing. Genesis 2 says, The Lord fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Well, then he goes on to talk about the fact that there was a problem with a reversal of the order at the very beginning in the fall. When Paul talks about the idea of the woman being deceived and falling into transgression, there's all kinds of wild ideas about what that's really talking about. Um, Some people think that means, well, Paul doesn't want women to be pastors and elders or be in leadership because women are naturally more gullible or less intelligent. That's not true. He's not saying that women are less capable, they're more gullible, they're less intelligent. That is not the point at all. Um, What he's saying is the reason or one of the important aspects of what happened when the fall occurred was a reversal of the divine order. And that's why it says in Genesis 3, 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. The woman took the lead. 
The man followed. There was a reversal of the roles. Uh, Adam should have um, been leading, and he wasn't. And he instead he followed in that situation and allowed that to happen. So we're we're not in any way saying that that women are more gullible, women are less intelligent, women can't be capable, strong, uh, and courageous, or any of those things. But he's highlighting the fact that there is a problem when we don't follow God's divine order. Now, obviously, there are ways in which women can teach and lead that go beyond just the issue of being an elder or a pastor. That's why in Proverbs 1.8, it says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. So obviously, women are teaching because mothers are teaching their kids. And the Bible tells us, don't ignore that. That's crucial for children to listen. Calvin would say, uh, not that Paul takes from them the charge of instructing their family, but only excludes them from the office of teaching in the church, which God has committed to men only. And so we have to be careful of reversing these roles. And that's really what feminism is all about. We should want women to be treated equally and fairly. We should want um, we don't we should not want women to be abused or anything like that. Um, but there, the real essence of the kind of feminism that we're most familiar with is a removal of distinctions and a reversal of roles, and that is a problem biblically. And so, when it comes to things like women in combat. Um, women serving as police officers who are actually going into danger. Um, that's a problem, I think, based on what God says are the proper roles of men and women. In our day and time, the Southern Baptist Convention, which we are a part of, is basically debating this whole thing. And at the Southern Baptist Convention this summer, they're going to be voting on whether or not Saddleback Church, which is just south of us, is going to be essentially kicked out of the convention because they've ordained women as pastors. And it's going to be a watershed event because if if people vote not to do that, the SBC will be basically affirming women pastors. And so they've kind of made it a personal thing by saying, do we really want to get, get rid of Saddleback Church and Rick Warren after all that they've done uh, for us as a convention? And so it's going to be a very, very interesting thing. But Paul is basically highlighting the fact that men and women are not like reversible belts. You know, you can just switch it back and forth and it doesn't matter. Men and women are different by design and wonderfully so. J.I. Packer has said, The man-woman relationship is intrinsically non-reversible. This is part of the reality of creation, a given fact that nothing will change. No matter how loud we shout, it won't change that fact. And so Paul is dealing with that, the issue of roles. Then thirdly and finally, I believe he's highlighting the issue of rejected design. And so we can ask the questions like, are there real differences between men and women? If so, is it simply physical? Is it psychological? Is it by design? And does it say something about how we are to live? 
Those are all very, very important questions. And it's really interesting if you think about what was going on in the first century in the Greco-Roman world, uh, it was all coming out of various kinds of ideas and teaching at the time. Uh, in Greek um, ideas, you had uh, the idea of androgyny, and that was something that went all the way back to Plato and a story that he wrote about the symposium in which originally he argued that humans were, um, what did he call it, um, spherical creatures made of two bodies back to back. And some of those creatures were male and male back to back, some were female and female back to back, and some were male and female back to back. And they rebelled against Zeus, according to the story, and to punish them, Zeus divided them, divided the, the female and female, the male and male, and the female and male. And his, the history of society is people coming back together so that homosexuality is the female and female part coming back together. And heterosexuality is the, the male and female coming back together. And then obviously you've got the male and male too along the homosexual line. And so you've got this kind of thinking that um, this is really the reality. And so we're just going back to the way it was meant to be in the beginning, so to speak. In fact, there was a Greek deity uh, that had a mixture of male parts and female parts. And so there was a confusion in their perspective. And so the ideas that we're dealing with now, as Ecclesiastes says, there's nothing new under the sun. They have been a part of uh, fallen life in various ways for thousands of years. And as I mentioned before, the whole issue of motherhood is complex because now we have um, women who are identifying as men and then having babies. And so you've got, according to society, men having babies. And that's why everything is more and more confused. Well, what Paul says in 1 Timothy 2 is, but women will be preserved or saved through the bearing of children or childbearing if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. And so the first thing is to say that there's not an equality of meaning between necessarily being saved through something and being saved by something. Paul is not saying that women are saved by bearing children. Let me just run you through some of the different ways in which people have understood this idea. Some people have said what Paul is talking about here is women will be saved through the childbirth, the birth of Jesus. That doesn't seem to be what Paul is talking about. Others will say that if she's holy enough, she'll be saved through the process of childbirth. She'll actually make it through and not die in the process. Well, the Bible doesn't seem to affirm that idea either. Some would say, yes, if she bears children, she will merit salvation in some sense. And we know that that's not consistent with what the gospel says. Uh, Some would say 
because Paul has just talked about the fall and Eve leading Adam to sin and bringing about the fall in some uh, way. Um, women will kind of redeem themselves by having babies. That's the way some people take it. Uh, others will say, Paul is simply saying that there will be some kind of spiritual benefit if women have babies and embrace that. I don't think any of those things fit what Paul is talking about here. Uh, what I believe he's saying is, essentially, women will be saved by grace through faith, just like everybody else, just like men, and not by works. This isn't about earning anything. But they will not be saved through a faith or by a faith that is without works. So what Paul is talking about here is the fact that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, but not by a faith that is alone, which means there are good works for women to exhibit, just like there are good works for men to exhibit. And those good works are not things that save us, but they are evidence that we have a real faith. So James could say, faith without works is dead. So, so what is Paul saying then about the kind of saving faith that should be seen in Christian women? It's the kind of saving faith that embraces the role that God has given to women. If we, as men or as women, just say, I refuse and I reject what the Bible has to say about God's design for life, that is a problem. That, that is not a minor issue. Paul is saying it is an important issue to think about. Um, Calvin could say the apostle does not argue here about the cause of salvation, but about showing in what way God conducts us to salvation. But, so there is an issue of salvation there, but it's not the issue of being safe by doing this, but exhibiting salvation through embracing it. And so there's all kinds of implications for that. Um, basically, it means it's wrong for us as men or women to reject God's design. So the issue of transgenderism is a major issue. It is not a minor thing. It is really, really important that we realize that. And so the idea of men and women's sports, going into bathrooms, locker rooms, prisons, all that sort of thing, and embracing that lifestyle is an issue. Now, are there people that really struggle with the question of whether or not they are a man inside a woman's body or they're a woman inside a man's body? In a fallen world, yes. There are people that wrestle with those kinds of questions and confusion and weakness and all that sort of thing. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about just having that wrestling or that confusion and trying to work through that and understand what to do with that. We should have great compassion for those who are experiencing those kinds of things, just like any other sin or any other issue that people might wrestle with. But the Bible makes it clear it's a difference when we fully embrace something that isn't God's design. And we fully embrace a sinful lifestyle. That is a very, very serious, very serious thing. And so when it comes to the design for women, the Bible tells us in all kinds of ways that that looks like in Genesis uh, 2, it says, 
that God made a woman to be a helper for the man. I will make him a helper suitable for him. That helper word is the same word that's used for God, who is my helper. Again, it doesn't mean someone who just cleans up after my mess. It means someone that I cannot live without by God's design. That kind of helper. And it emphasizes the importance of the home for women. Uh, When in Titus 2, it says... um, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women, women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. So uh, the idea of the woman helping the man, the idea of the home being very important, uh, a very important part of the woman's role, uh, the issue of being a nurturer is very clear in the Bible when it says in 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul says, we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. All of that is very important, but we also need to realize that in Proverbs 31, the mother there in that passage is uh, running a business, so to speak, um, purchasing land, um, making belts and selling to the tradesmen, involved in the community, helping the poor. And so it's not um, that the woman's just uh, barefoot and pregnant and at home staying out of society. Um, The woman is very much engaged in the community and serving in all kinds of ways, using her gifts and abilities to bless other people as well as her own household. And yet um, helping her husband, Managing well her household is all part of that, a very, very important part of that. And so the Bible says that to reject God's design is ultimately to reject God and his blessings and to bring judgment upon ourselves. So let me wrap this up really quickly. There are two issues here in our day and time, the issue of women pastors. It's a serious issue, but it's not a salvation issue, which means you can be a true believer and get women pastors wrong and and so there are some churches that embrace women pastors and i don't doubt the salvation of those in that church but it is a little different when it comes to the issue of transgenderism and the reason why is because of things like what it says in first corinthians 6 in first corinthians 6 paul is listing some lifestyle choices, things that people can embrace lifestyle-wise that he argues um, will not um, allow us to inherit the kingdom, that they are not consistent with a true saving faith in Jesus. So he says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That word effeminate in verse 9 literally literally means soft ones or soft men. And it's the idea of, if you read Calvin and others, it's the idea of men basically taking on the role of women. 
And so the idea is that there is a problem, there is a salvation issue with regard to whether or not we embrace the design of men and women that God has given us in the word. And one of the things that sin does is it it attacks us with regard to the issue of the sexual union, but it also attacks us with regard to the issue of how we're going to live in terms of our biological um, realities. And Satan is uh, one who loves to lie about both of those issues. And so, just in conclusion, I'll just wrap up by saying, when we ask the question, what is a woman? It is a very important question to answer. And as Christians, we should have an answer. In the documentary, What is a Woman? by Matt Walsh, at the very end of the documentary, he walks into his kitchen and he approaches his wife and he says, I've been wanting to ask you a question. And he asks his wife this question, what is a woman? And she says, well, a woman is an adult female human being who needs somebody to open this jar. (laughs) And she hands him a jar and he opens it and gives it back to her. But she basically repeats what you'll find in most dictionaries, at least up until recently, that a woman is an adult female human being. Now, obviously, as Christians, in light of the Bible, we can fill that out in rich and wonderful ways. Um, As I've got on the screen there, we could fundamentally say a woman is a creation defined by the Creator. If God truly has created men and women, then he ought to define what a woman is and what a man is. And however we define that in light of the Bible, we need to come to the conclusion it's good to be a woman, just like it's good to be a man. It's not something that we should uh, feel bad about, uh, but it's something that we should embrace and that it, it truly is, as we've been talking about over the last few weeks, It is part of our pursuit of happiness in God by embracing how he's made us both as women and men. And so I've given you a definition in your notes. You can look at that. But basically it argues that being a man or being a woman is tied to biology. In our day and time, they want to separate the two. They want to say that it doesn't matter what physical parts you have. That doesn't say anything about whether you're a man or a woman. The Bible says... Just the opposite. Yes, being a man or a woman is very much about uh, how you're made physically. But it's not just about that. It's about not only the physical, it's about your purpose. Being a man and being a woman is about how God has designed you to fulfill a certain purpose. And therefore, both men and women are to be strong and courageous. It's not just for men to be strong and courageous. It's both men and women to be strong and courageous. How? by actually living the way God calls us to live as men and women. It takes some courage for a woman in our day and time to live like a woman. Just like it takes a man in our day and time, it takes courage to live like a man and to actually argue for that and speak for that. So we're talking about being strong and courageous, um, whether we're men or women. And then embracing whatever responsibilities God has given to men as men and women as women. And for women, that very much has to do with understanding in what way women are to be helpers to men. 
in what way women are to care for children and the weak and the needy, uh, in what ways they are to be committed to their own household, in what ways they are to sacrifice in light of all those things. Men are to sacrifice in their roles. Women are to sacrifice in their roles. And to understand if you're not married what that means. Can you still express the glory of God as a woman even if you're not married? Of course. I mean, Jesus glorified manhood and he wasn't married. So if he was a single man and glorified God as a man, certainly single women can glorify God as single women by being nurturing and seeing their role in terms of being the helper to the man in whatever way that means. And I don't have time to really talk about all the nuances of that, but um, it's something that women should embrace as men, we should embrace it and, and realize that it is the pursuit of my happiness in God by embracing what he's made me to be. At the same time, we need to realize that Jesus is an able and willing savior for those who are enslaved to physical idolatry regarding women, whether it's pornography or anything else. We can be saved and forgiven and rescued from that. If someone feels like they're different from their biological sex, Jesus is an able and willing Savior for them. Ask Rosaria Butterfield or someone like that about how God can transform your life. If we're someone who says, you know, I just don't want to follow God's design. I think my happiness is in doing something different. You can be forgiven for that. Even if you've gone down that road all, all the way to someone who's actually had physical changes to your body. You can be forgiven. You can be restored. Uh, God can do wonderful things in your life and their life. And so it's important to understand that there's the truth of how God has created us and what that means. But there's also the good news that wherever we've gone wrong, there's forgiveness in Christ. And we can be truly and radically changed and live in light of the design that God has given us. But we have to realize that to embrace Jesus as our Lord and our Savior is to embrace his word. And therefore, to embrace the design for men and women that he's given us in his word. And so, in our society, we need to speak up. We need to stand up. And we need to pray for grace to be strong and courageous in terms of how we live and how we speak. And the reality is, uh, it may become more and more costly to do so. But it will be truly loving to do so to speak the truth in love. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. We pray that somehow you would encourage all the mothers here, uh, that they would have a renewed sense of what a special thing it is to be a woman and to be a mother if they are, that they would embrace that even in deeper, richer ways and glory in it and deeper, richer ways and be thankful for it and and see that their happiness Uh, in you is through pursuing uh, your design for them as women and as mothers. And we pray that they would find much joy and peace, true happiness in you in doing so. So please bless our mothers, encourage them, and bless all all the women uh, here and encourage them. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us in these very challenging days to think rightly 
to live rightly, to speak rightly, and to trust you, and to truly love those around us, to the glory of your name and for the salvation of souls. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.